so this morning we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of John. Last week, uh, Corey did a great job just reminding us that if we're striving to be like Jesus, we're going to have some issues. We will be persecuted. The more we strive to be more like Jesus, the more we will be persecuted. He reminded us that, you know, Jesus made it clear that no student is above his master. They hated him and they will hate us also. If you were standing there at that time, you might have been tempted to even question your resolve. Like, man, do I really want to go down this path? Um, but Jesus, you know, he didn't leave them hanging. He promised them a way to get through it. Uh, they were going to make it all the way and also complete the mission that he started because Jesus was going to send them the Holy Spirit. Before we pick up in our main text, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much um, just to be here this morning. I thank you for 2019, uh, just for the good and the bad. All of it had a purpose, help us to, to, uh, help us to learn from it uh, so that we can become more and more like you. Help us to, uh, even as we're going into 2020, to just strive to be more and more like Jesus, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much uh, again for just uh, everybody here this morning. I pray that you'd even just work through me, um, that uh, whatever said is exactly what needs to be said. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go over into John. We're going to start in chapter 15. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. All right. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you uh, also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. And in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their, their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me 
what he will make known to you. Amen. You know, this passage is a lot to take in. Um, and we're only going to really scratch the surface on a lot of stuff, just given just this, this the time. But here we go. The Advocate. Some of you, you know, who know me know that I'm really big on movies, especially Marvel and DC. So I, I was really connecting with uh, Sam and, and Zach there for a second. A bit more hardcore than me, but um, I, I bring it up because every time I see this term, the advocate, I think of, honestly, I think of a movie trailer, like a superhero like movie trailer. And I was almost going to call this uh, sermon, Enter the Advocate, but I said no. I'll just call it the advocate and keep it basic. Um, sometimes you may hear the Holy Spirit, Spirit being referred to as the uh, paraclete, right? Maybe some of you might have heard that word. And it, it comes from the word, uh, from the Koine Greek word parakletos, which here it means the advocate, but it also can mean, if you'll see in some uh, translations, it can mean the helper, right? Um, it can also mean the intercessor, and even in some older translations, such like as, uh, King James, it can mean the comforter, right? And so in any event, the, world carry, the, the word carries this image of someone who's called alongside. Someone who's called in to help. Like, man, someone's really got my back right next to me. Um, it's interesting to note that Jesus was also called an advocate. Uh, in, in 1 John 2, 1, I'm just going to refer to a bunch of scriptures so you can just simply write them down. You don't, don't worry about turning there. We'll stick to our main text. But in 1 John 2, 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Jesus also uses the same word in John chapter 14, verse 16. Just to give us a heads up about the Holy Spirit, kind of like a preview. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So I just want to just kind of let that marinate for a little bit. It says, the Spirit will be in you. At that point, they never, you know, experienced that, and that was later to come. But think about it. Let's just say Jesus, you know, was right here physically right now in this room. Literally, he would be limited to the confines of this room, physically. So if he was, you know, obviously if he was up here, I mean, if he was with us, he'd be up here and I'd be down there, clearly. But if he chose to be down, you know, there, we'd all be lining up, fellowship, and hey, you know, can I get on your calendar? You know? But here, you know, Jesus said, hey, it's to your advantage that I leave. One major reason is the fact that, man, now that we have the Holy Spirit and everybody who is a true disciple has the Spirit inside of us. So he's no longer bound, like God is no longer bound, again, to the confines of his room. He's here. He's in Virginia Beach, China, everywhere where there's a true disciple. That's huge. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we talked, you know, Corey talked about persecution last week. And so it, it starts out again 
uh, in verse verse 1. Um, and Jesus is having a pretty heavy, uh, you know, this whole time he's having this heavy dinner conversation, right? Um, and he says, uh, he says he told them this so that they would not fall away, so that they would not stumble. Then he proceeded to get even more specific with the persecution. First he said, you know what? You're going to be put out of the synagogue. You're going to be an outcast. This was a pretty, you know, I was reading one commentator, and it says this was a pretty penalty, uh, uh, this was a penalty dreaded by every Hebrew, because uh, it meant social acceptability, a loss of social acceptability, employment, and all access to the religious life of the community. Excommunicated persons were held to be worse than pagans and were the object of total rejection and hatred. He also mentioned another specific thing. You will be killed. Needs no further explanation on that one. Now, all of this, you know, Jesus said, okay, you know, they're being, it's going to be done because they don't know Jesus and they did not know the Father. And honestly, when you look at just most of the craziness that's going on right now in the world, same reason. They don't know Jesus and they don't know the Father. Now, again, all this is all happening over dinner. I know if I was there, I was like, man, Jesus, can I just eat my matzah? I mean, it's a lot. It's a whole lot, you know? It almost seemed counterintuitive, so to speak, to have this discussion. You know, at at the end of this time, it's not like they were probably having a warm and fuzzy, you know? I was thinking about my time of when I uh, joined the Navy out of high school. Anybody relate with Navy, military? Got a bunch of you guys. Um, so I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I wound up uh, moving to New Jersey. In my senior high school, I went to, um, to Florida. And I couldn't stand it. It was a big culture shock in a lot of ways. And um, anyway, I was like, you know, I was kind of discouraged. I was like, man, I do not want to go to school anymore. College is not for me. And I ultimately got out, went to grad school and all that stuff. But at the time, that was my, you know, my mindset. And um, so I decided, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a bum, so I'm just going to go ahead. And I, I had some people, friends that were going into the military. One was in the Army, one was in the Navy. And so I went to the recruiting office. You know, I took the test, and they said, look, you know, you can have any job you want. So I decided, you know, hey, I wanted to work on computers. I wanted to get a, a, a skill. And ultimately, long story short, I signed up, and I was in the military. Now, that first day, you know, um, even just going to the bus, I just remember, like, man, getting off the bus and everybody yelling at me, you know. I was like, okay. You know, I, I knew it was going to be interesting, boot camp. You know, it wasn't going to be easy. But it really hit me the next morning, 3.45 a.m. This guy, one of my company commanders, comes in with this metal trash can and starts banging away. And I'm just like, are you serious? And, you know, ultimately, you know, it's 
it was clear that, okay, I knew some things, but there were some specifics that were left out when I talked to my recruiter, right? So, you know, ultimately, it didn't even matter. I would have still probably, I would have joined the military, but it would have been nice to know some details, you know. Um, you know, uh, so Jesus, you know, he was very candid. He gave details so that they could be forewarned and they could be prepared for what was to come. The fact is, Jesus is candid about a lot of things in the Bible. And the question I have is, do we appreciate his forthrightness or do we take offense to it? I remember when I first came out to this fellowship, it was a similar church um, in San Francisco. And I remember hearing some challenging stuff. I was like, man, I have never heard the word preached like this. And I was like, man, this is, this is intense. And the temptation when we hear things that, or see things in the scriptures that challenge us is to say, oh, you know what? Maybe this is not the place for me. Let me go over somewhere else where it's a bit more comfortable and I can kind of hear what I want to hear. The question is, do we respond in faith or do we run in fear? Everything that Jesus said happened exactly the way it said it, right? How much more should we trust in everything Jesus said? Jesus is honest and wants to make sure we are ready for what comes our way. So how does the advocate help us? So um, clearly he's not a magic genie. He's not put into us to help us to pick our lotto numbers. His purpose is to point us to Jesus. And this passage, you know, kind of gives us some, some insight into how that's done. You know, if you scoot down to verse 8, uh, it says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know, prove the world to be wrong. In some translations, you may have the word convict. In other words, he exposes or brings to light certain things regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Galatians 5, 19-21, you can just write it down says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the Bible says sin is obvious. But it's amazing how the world makes things not so obvious. It all starts with the tiniest compromise or a consistent rationalization. And all of a sudden, what becomes obvious is, you know, again, becomes not so obvious. There are certain things that used to be done in secret that are now on full display as acceptable. We are bombarded with all these different sins. Um, through media, in our school. I mean, the stuff that my daughter has to deal with in school now, I didn't have to deal with when I was there. At work, 
etc. Many of us used to live certain way because we didn't see sin the way God saw sin. Thank God for the Holy Spirit's work. When we get convicted of sin, we always have a choice. We can ignore the Holy Spirit's work or we can repent. What are you going to do? However, the Spirit's been kind of trying to work on your heart during the week. Are you going to ignore him? Or are you going to run toward the Spirit and repent? So we mentioned three things. Um, we covered sin. Righteousness. The world has a relative view of righteousness. Everyone has their own standard of morality. This morality, it may have been handed down, like say through your parents, your family, just kind of your upbringing, or it might have been something you created on your own. One common temptation we may have is to compare ourselves with one another, and we can do that even within the church. The dangerous thing is that we can start thinking that there is an acceptable level of righteousness that God will accept in order for us to get into heaven. In Matthew 5.20, um, it says, For unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also said in Matthew 23.27 that they were um, like, the, speaking of the Pharisees, that they were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Now, these guys were basically like walking standards for everybody. Everybody looked to them as the example. But it was clearly going to be a losing battle if we're going to use them as the standard. We have to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you in the area of righteousness? Or are you adopting the morality around you? Are you creating and living by your own standard of righteousness? At the end of the day, it is impossible to achieve the righteousness that God requires through our own efforts. We need to take hold of the righteousness that God allows us to have through faith and the constant work of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, judgment. It says the prince of this world now stands condemned. I remember when I was studying the Bible and, um, and how God was just even working, just the Holy Spirit was working on my own heart. And I remember getting convicted by my own sin and also seeing that, man, you know, even what I was doing was just like this. There's no way I can measure up. I really need Jesus. I also remembered the point I realized that, you know what? One day I will stand before God and face judgment. Um, then I had a decision to make. I had no desire, desire to have the same destiny as the devil which ultimately he was condemned. Nor did I want to live as if he had power over my life anymore. 
The Spirit's role is to guide us into all truth. His work is to open our eyes and enlarge our ability to see. He always, he always begins with sin, righteousness, and judgment. Questions you can ask yourself. Are you convinced of sin? Are you convinced of Christ's righteousness? Are you convinced of judgment? Then, at that point, when that occurs, you'll be under conviction of the Holy Spirit. The question is, what are you going to do about it? How will you respond? I'm going to bring it on home here. Jesus knew that he was on his way out and was preparing his disciples. Even though he was leaving, he was sending them their own personal guide to be with them 24-7, to do what he couldn't do while he was physically on earth. Not only that, it would help uh, he would help them to continue the mission of spreading the gospel. Some questions that you can ask yourself, even, you know, you can talk about it in the fellowship or even as you leave um, today. Is there a direction that you think the Holy Spirit might be leading you toward? Are you heading towards it or are you avoiding it? As we close out this year, Let's reflect on how the Holy Spirit has been working on our lives. Let's pray to be in tune with how he is working. If you are visiting, please reach out to someone who, you know, whoever invited you so that you can learn more about this subject. And then let's also remember that the best way people can see Jesus is to allow the Spirit to work freely in us so that by looking at us, the world will be convinced, or convicted, and inspired to know Jesus. Amen.